third week here in 1 Kings, God's will that was already revealed to the nation is being put into work. And tonight we're going to see another um, response to transition that we must be careful about. In fact, tonight's message is all about being cautious uh, or careful and how it is biblical. So, so, so far we have seen the pride and selfishness of Adonijah, uh, the opportunist, and we have seen the loyalty that was proven by action uh, in Nathan's, the prophet's life. And tonight we're going to take a look at Adonijah again as the narrative here progresses here in the uh, history of Israel. Remember that we are during the time period of the kings. I won't show that graph tonight, but uh, as through the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you have uh, them, the patriarchs, you have them starting to form in number, you have uh, them wandering through the wilderness and the conquest, and then the time of judges, and then they uh, ask the Lord for a uh, single man that could be a leader to the nation, and uh, that is starts the time of monarchy, you might say, or the kings. And so we are in that time, uh, starting towards the end of King David's life. King David is sick, he is on his deathbed, he's older in age. And uh, the nation of Israel is in transition. Who is going to be the next king? Well, Adonijah, we saw, wanted to promote himself. Uh, he, even some of the people thought he might be the logical one to take the throne. He was the oldest son of David still living. Uh, and then we saw Nathan the loyalist step into action last week and said, no, God has clearly already revealed that this is going to be Solomon when we announced the building of the temple with Solomon uh, back in First Chronicles. And so all of this is happening, and we saw that Nathan and Bathsheba have an impact on David, and he brings his three trusted men that he can count on that are loyal, Zadok, the high priest, um, Nathan, the prophet of God, and Benaiah, the head of his bodyguard, the head of his guards. Uh, and he commands them to go anoint Solomon as king. And that's where we pick, off, uh, pick up tonight. We're going to be in verse 38. Verse 38. I want to show you this picture because it's going to be a little bit helpful uh, for tonight. Uh, this is before the temple, the tabernacle, was made in all of its glory underneath King Solomon. And so when we refer to the tabernacle here tonight, uh, scholars say it's gonna, it looks something like this. It was a temporary dwelling place. Uh, and so it was a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant. We know that. David set it up there in Jerusalem specifically for that. Uh, and we have some other things uh, in there, but that's kind of the picture that you get as this narrative progresses tonight. And we're actually going to be talking a little bit about that altar there in the, uh, the court there, the outer court, which is the brazen altar. And that's going to come into play here in Adonijah's life and actually in a few chapters in Joab's life as well. And so just kind of a picture to, to get us started tonight to maybe get us familiar with what we're talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about a word that is prudence. Prudence. And now the word prudence has uh, a, a connotation of caution or carefulness, all right? And we're going to see Adonijah's lack of prudence here in the final verses of this first chapter in our narrative. Have you ever been told to be careful or to be cautious, all right? It's, it's a good warning in our life. It really is. We need to be told to be careful, to be cautious, whatever it might be. But maybe you have been, uh, especially when you live in a city like Kansas City or a bigger city, uh, maybe you have been driving along and maybe you have a destination out of state or you're coming back home from a, a vacation, whatever it might be, and you're in your car and you pass the dreaded lights on a sign that says, Caution, 
road work ahead. And uh, now all of a sudden you have to factor in, hey, am I driving during rush hour right now? How much traffic is around me? I'm going to slow down. I've got to rethink my plan here. I'm obviously not going to get home the time I thought I was or to my destination. But even though it's kind of a dreaded sign to pull up uh, to and pass, it's a very needed sign as well. Because if we didn't have that light, that caution, uh, we'd be going full speed right into road work. Um, and so maybe, maybe when you pass that sign, several questions go through your mind, like, is this going to put me back? Is this going to make me uh, late? Uh, my wife knows the question that I always ask uh, her uh, or I don't really ask the question. I make a statement. I, when I pass that sign, I say, they better be out working right now. Um, or this is pointless for me to slow down, whatever it might be. Uh, but it's a caution. It's telling us there's something ahead you need to look out for. Um, so you're going to slow your speed. Uh, there probably are people working on the side of the road. They're busting up concrete or they're pouring it or whatever they do, you know, when you don't think they're doing anything. Uh, painting lines and We don't like seeing that caution sign, but the fact of the matter is that it's cautioning us for something that is ahead, and it's really placed there for our protection. Uh, It really is. And not the road work, that's not placed there for our protection, but the caution sign, right? The the warning that says, be careful of what's ahead. And you can almost think of prudence in that same way. In the same way in life, it is wise to have cautions, to be very careful about where something might lead to. That's what prudence means, all right? That, that's the word called prudence. It means realizing the potential effects or consequences of a decision. That's what prudence is. And we're going to see that Adonijah, as you can already expect, had a lack of this in his life. It should have been very, very obvious where something like this would have led in Adonijah's life because he already had an older brother example that did the exact same thing. But he didn't heed those cautions. He didn't heed those warnings. That's what we call prudence. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So 1 Kings chapter 1, sorry I forgot the chapter there, verses 38 through 53. Uh, go ahead and follow along as I read. Starting in verse 38. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of them. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And whilst ye yet spake, uh, behold, Jonathan the son of Abiathar the priest came, and Adonijah said unto him, Come in, for thou art a valiant man, and bringest good tidings. And Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, Verily our lord King David hath made Solomon king. And the king hath sent him uh, with him Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king in Gihon, and they are come up from thence rejoicing so that the city rang again. This is the noise that ye have heard. And also Solomon sitteth on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, God, make the name of Solomon better than thy name, and make his throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon 
the bed. And also thus said the king, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which hath given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not an hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar, and he came and bowed himself to King Solomon. And Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. So let's look at this section of our narrative uh, here this evening and see Adonijah's lack of prudence in this section of our narrative. The first thing that we see is Solomon is anointed king. All right, that's the first thing that David just gave that decree, and that's exactly what happens. In verse 38 through 40, Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah, uh, they go and they take Solomon and they anoint him king. King David gives his three loyal men that command, and it starts to take place. And you may be asking yourself there in verse 38, who are the Cherethites and Pelethites? Well, they are David's personal troops, all right? So all of these things, as you see this narrative progress, are almost David showing the people of Israel that this is definitely from David, King David, all right? He's sending his own personal troops uh, he's, he's on David's mule. All of these different things are almost symbols to the nation of Israel. This is from King David. Now there's a lot of things that go into these two names given to David's troops here. Uh, many scholars kind of go back and forth and say, well, some of these men are Philistines uh, because of the name. And uh, there's definitely a possibility, you know, David spent time in Philistia and uh, spent time there and probably had many people that he knew that were guards and not to mention all the times uh, that Israel had victory over the Philistines. And um, there might have been several people in his guards that were trusted and felt like they could be put under their guards even though uh, they were under the nation of Israel at that time. Uh, Whatever the case, it really doesn't matter to our narrative here tonight. There could be Philistines in there, but these are David's personal troops. These are David's personal guards. And it actually does shed light a little bit here on what King David is doing. So the king sends these three men and Solomon and his personal troops. And if people were doubting the king's wishes before that maybe it was Adonijah, he was clearing things up by sending his troops and by doing some of these things that we're going to see uh, in this part, all right, several items that we see in these couple of verses were added so that the people of Israel knew this was from King David. The first one we read there, Solomon was riding the king's mule, all right, symbolizing again in verse 38, this was from David, all right, the king's personal troops accompanied the ceremony, and Zadok, the priest, anoints Solomon with the oil from the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, we know this sacred oil that was used to anoint the altars and vessels, as well as the priests many times, that we read back in Exodus chapter 30, that sheds a lot of life, uh, light on the, the uh, tabernacle and the altars and, and those things. So Zadok takes this sacred oil from the tabernacle, which we know as being the temporary dwelling place there in Jerusalem, and he anoints Solomon in an act of showing that this is the next king of Israel, and we see that uh, even in Second Chronicles chapter one and verse four, as well. And then we see that the noise was very loud. All right, this was 
uh, loud enough for Adonijah's group over here that was feasting to hear something's going on, right? Uh, These pipes were more than likely flute pipes, as they're very common. Historians claim that um, they're very common in this time amongst the Israelites and surrounding nations. Um, Whatever the case may be, the phrase that the earth rent is hyperbole. It just meant that you could hear it. I mean, it was almost like a shaking. Uh, You knew something was happening in the city of Jerusalem. Take it this way. I know the chiefs start here in uh, less than an hour. And let's say you live close to Independence, you live close to the stadium, and uh, close enough to hear the noise when something happens at Arrowhead Stadium, right? Uh, But you hear the noise, but you don't exactly know what's going on. Usually if you hear the noise, hopefully it's a good thing. Patrick Mahomes threw another of his many touchdowns or whatever it might be. Um, And you hear the noise. You might be able to hear it because of how close you live. But you know something just happened in the game. Something is happening right now. And that's kind of where Adonijah uh, and his group is at because they hear this noise. They hear this triumph uh, in the city of Jerusalem around the area. And people in the city are rejoicing and they're praising. And they knew something was going on. They knew something was happening. And that kind of leads us into the second part that we see here. And that's the report to Adonijah. So, He's asking the question, Joab asked the question, what's this sound, what's happening, what's going on? They finish eating in their uh, ceremony that they're having on their own. And um, we see that in verse 41, Joab asks the question, what's, what's happening, what's the cause of this noise? And Abiathar's son, one of the priests that we've already been talking about, Jonathan, comes running in to give a report to Adonijah, the... Um, People that in that meeting thought was the next king of Israel. And here he comes, and the first thing that we see in verse 42 is that Adonijah is expecting some good news. Right? Jonathan comes running in, and uh, Adonijah sees him, he's like, come in, come in. I I know you, you're a valiant man, and I know you're going to bring me good tidings. We don't know what king, uh, not king, but Adonijah was thinking uh, might be good news, might be the cause of this uh, noise, of this... um, this celebration, whatever it might be, but it could be that he was thinking a couple of things. It could be that he was just thinking, more people are, are on board with this now. They know that I am going to be the next king, and they are excited that Adonijah is going to be the next king of Israel. That could definitely be passing through his mind. Uh, maybe sitting there, sits back, and Jonathan comes in, the son of Abiathar, and he sits back with a smirk on his face and says, I, kn- I know you're bringing me good news. Uh, maybe it's that uh, people are finally jumping on board. People in Jerusalem have decided Adonijah is going to be the next king. Unfortunately, from the history through the kings here, you have to at least maybe ask, maybe he actually thinks the good news is that King David passed. Um, because of the history of the kings here, he might be thinking King David's passed. Now is the perfect time to promote myself forward uh, because the next king has to take his place. We don't know the reason, but whatever the reason, you can see Adonijah here amongst everybody that's supporting him. And Jonathan comes in and might have a smirk on his face and says, yes, come in, tell us all what this rejoicing is about. And uh, the news was that Solomon is the next king of Israel. 
And the fact of the matter is, this shouldn't have been new news to King Adonijah because it was already, or Adonijah, because it was already um, announced by God. It was already the will of God, and King David had already announced it as well. So this was not uh, new at all. And Jonathan answers and tells Adonijah that King David has declared the next king of Israel. And maybe that's all Jonathan got out of his mouth before Adonijah knew this was not going to be a good report because he knew who David's choice was. And and the choice is Solomon, Jonathan says. And I don't think this is a surprise to any of the people there. Um, and they are scared because they have basically put themselves in a position to be traitor to the throne at this point. And so Jonathan goes into the details of the noise. Zadok and Nathan and the king's troops are there and Benaiah. And they're going through the city. And the city is rejoicing as Solomon is currently sitting on the king's throne. The people are shouting and praising and are saying, The Lord make your throne, Solomon, greater than King David's throne. And they're shouting, Long live King Solomon. That's what's going on at Adonijah. And in essence, Jonathan gave a report that said, Adonijah, this little charade is up. And they knew it as soon as Jonathan closed his remarks here. David has proclaimed it. Solomon has been anointed king. He is on the throne right now. He is king of Israel. I don't think Adonijah is sitting with a smirk anymore, thinking of it as a good report. In fact, we're about to get into reality setting in in Adonijah's life and the men and the people that followed him as well. And so the report to Adonijah... Shouldn't have been a new report at all, a new news, you could say, because Solomon was already pronounced by King David to be the next king. And as wrapped up in this charade, in this scheme, as Adonijah was, even when Jonathan entered the room still thinking that he would be king of Israel, Jonathan, in his report here, and everything that's happening in Israel, Reality starts to hit in Adonijah's life. That's the next thing that we see in verse 49 and 50. Reality sets in uh, with Adonijah. We see that in verse 49 and 50. This report of Solomon being anointed king gives Adonijah a reality check. He will not be king. He will not have the throne. And now as he sits there, he's scared for his life because he made the situation worse by promoting himself against the clear revealed will of God. No, instead of being a brother to the king and a close ally, he is an offender in his mind. I had this master plan and it didn't work out, and I have made it worse for me and those that followed in with me, despite God's clear will of Solomon being the next king. Verse 49 tells us that they were all afraid. They all had a feeling of... um, They had schemed to go against the next king of Israel, and now he is the king, and now they are the enemy. Not of a 20-year-old son of the king who was not a man of war that they had no fear of before, that they thought Adonijah would be a better pick, whom they thought King Adonijah might actually end up eliminating once Adonijah became king. Well, now he is king, now Solomon is king, and now they are at odds with the crowned king of Israel who had the entire nation at his disposal. Joab is there, Abiathar is there, and instead of having a role in God's perfect transition for Israel, two men, three men, maybe even more there, 
that were loyal to David at once. Joab was the captain of the guard. Abiathar was a high priest. And they are there, instead of being a part of God's perfect plan and transition for Israel, they are enemies to that throne now. Instead of promoting God and promoting God's will, they were involved in promoting of Adonijah in a selfish agenda. Instead of being involved in an amazing work of God, they sided with pride, and now they're starting to pay the consequences. And in time of transition, we have to have the prudence to see what pride can potentially do. We're in a time of transition here at Eagle Heights. We have to have the caution, the prudence to look ahead and see what pride in my life and maybe our lives in the body here can potentially do in a very vulnerable time of transition here at Eagle Heights. These men didn't get their way. All right, they're perfect man. They didn't get their perfect man for Israel. Adonijah knew better, did he not? This is exactly what his older brother did. He sat as Absalom did the exact same thing. He sat as Absalom paid the price for it. And all of these different things. And and you have to ask yourself, Adonijah, why are you doing this? You know better. You know the outcome's not going to be good. You know not to go against God. You're sitting underneath King David, who undoubtedly the men in the, 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 the palace there are telling about Israel's past. About going through the wilderness. And about the time of the judges when they turned their back on God and God's revealed will. And God punishing. You have to ask the question, Adonijah, what are you thinking? You saw it in your older brother. You've been told these stories throughout. You've seen all of these things even since you've been alive in the nation of Israel. Everything that you've seen cautioned you to, do, to say, don't do it. Look what it can cause. And yet Adonijah did it anyways. Listen to me tonight. It is wisdom to be able to see the potential consequences and effects of our decisions before we make the decision, before we act, before we do it. It's too late for Adonijah at this point. He already made that decision. He had plenty of cautions before he made the decision to promote his own agenda. Adonijah runs and grabs hold of the horns of the altar. This is the brazen altar, if you remember that picture I showed at the beginning. Um, And this is the altar that uh, they would run to. It's also known as the bronze altar, and we read about it in Exodus again, chapter 27, that talks a lot about the details of these things. If you were walking into the tabernacle, this altar would be one of the first things you would pass. And a priest would more than likely meet you there, And uh, this is where blood sacrifices would be made. That was the uh, brazen altar. This was the shed blood sacrifice for sins in the Old Testament. They would come and make a blood sacrifice in asking for forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously, that practice is no longer needed today, praise the Lord, because Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice for our sin that died on the cross for our sin, that blood sacrifice. Nonetheless, this was the practice then, and this was the altar that Adonijah grabs the horns of. Now, these horns were out of the four corners of this altar. And this act was just an act symbolizing a claim of sanctuary. All right, This act was an act of a last effort for safety. Adonijah thinks his life is at danger. No doubt in Adonijah's mind, if he was promoted to be king, Solomon, his life was probably in danger. And so now Adonijah is thinking along the same lines, and if you read through 1 Kings, and as we continue to study, we're going to see how real this threat is. 
He was thinking of himself as an offender to the throne, as a traitor. And now, as one of King David's sons, one of the princes of Israel, because he promoted himself and didn't have the prudence to see ahead, he goes from this meeting of promoting himself and like someone who is a murderer or a traitor is asking for sanctuary to be spared his life at the altar and grabbing hold of the horns. The basic definition of sanctuary is just a dwelling place for someone who has broken the law or who deserves to be punished many times by death. And to claim sanctuary in this time was basically to say, you can't kill me here, right? Realize where I'm at right now. This is the altar, blood sacrifice altar, uh, and all these different things. It's the holy place. Um, And this altar is going to come back into play in the weeks to come because Joab's about to do the exact same thing here soon as well. And here's Adonijah, frightened for his life, acting in the same way a murderer or a traitor would act, a man promoting himself as king, now taking action as if he was a traitor. It's really a humbling time in Adonijah's life. And then we see as the, as the narrative progresses here in chapter 1 that Solomon responds to this. Solomon gets word and is given a report that Adonijah is afraid and has gone to the tabernacle and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar and is claiming sanctuary. And then Solomon gives his response to this in the remainder of our passage here in chapter 1. Adonijah is requesting his life to be spared, all right? That is his request that you can see in verse 51, that Solomon would spare the sword and not kill him. And no doubt if roles were reversed, Adonijah had probably come to grips with eliminating Solomon already. And so Adonijah is requesting his life here. Solomon's stipulation was that Adonijah behave himself a worthy man. Solomon basically said, I will not harm a hair on your body, on your head, If you behave yourself as a worthy man. Well, what did Solomon mean by this? Solomon will spare Adonijah's life if Adonijah proves to be worthy, a good subject to the throne, and one who fears sin, leading a quiet and a peaceable life, not meddling with the affairs of the throne or the court, and having good behavior. The stipulations here placed on Adonijah's life are of behavior. Basically, Solomon says, I will spare your life, but you're going to have to live in a way that is worthy of me sparing your life right now. We don't need to have this trouble again of you rising up against the throne and uh, promoting self, promoting pride. You're going to have to change your life in this way. Adonijah is receiving mercy here. It really is, but again, there's a stipulation. And as hard as we are on Adonijah here, again, most of us might have been in the same exact spot. Remember, human logic said Adonijah would be the next king. Not this son Solomon, who was 20, who had never been to battle. I mean, human logic said Adonijah would be the next king. And so before we go um, stoning Adonijah too fast tonight, many of us might have been right there with him in this situation. And he's shown mercy. And that mercy is given to him as long as he does not repeat his wicked acts. Look where it got him. And in the future, we're going to see that Adonijah still does not learn this lesson of prudence. And because Adonijah was a man of no prudence, he finds himself in this position again and eventually finds himself being put to death in the coming chapters. And so Adonijah shows a great lack of prudence and caution in his life here. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he has all the caution signs he needs not to go through with this, not to do this just like his brother Absalom. 
He had watched as his older brother did the same thing and the disastrous results that followed. And you would think that that might cross his mind before he started to act. But unfortunately, it was not enough to stop him. Adonijah never learned to develop prudence in his life. And no doubt because of his, his focus was solely on self, that's the reason he never developed prudence. So tonight, what is our timeless truth as we look at this narrative? Prudence saves us from unnecessary heartache. That's all throughout the Proverbs, by the way. It's wisdom. It's wise to be cautious about the potential effects and consequences of things that you allow yourself to do or allow in your life. We can learn a lot about prudence tonight, but just a few things here. The first one is this. Prudence weighs the possible outcomes. All right, that's what prudence is. That's basically by its definition what it is. How could this affect my family or my life before I even make this decision? What happened the last time I did this? Um, it creates a caution to our decision making that is extremely, extremely needed in our day and age. There should be a caution about our decisions because they do have results. They do have effects. Maybe it's a parent who is faced with a choice. Do I allow my teenager to go here or do this or have such and such? Parent, weigh the possibilities. Weigh the potential outcomes. It's a good habit to get into. A person makes a decision. Should I watch this movie or should I allow this language and things that I watch or listen to? Well, what effects could it have? Should I commit that sin again? Well, remember what happened last time. That's what prudence does in our life. It saves us from unnecessary heartache in the future that, that Adonijah is going through here. Proverbs 22 and verse 3 is a common one through all, all of these. says this, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Prudence weighs the possible outcomes. Christianity today is suffering really from a lack of prudence. Uh, possibly in the past. And now, don't get me wrong this afternoon. I'm not saying that prudence is the only reason we have heartache uh, amongst a family member falling away from the Lord or an ex-generation not being in church, whatever it might be. Uh, Everyone is uh, created with their own free will. And you can have a set of parents uh, or a pastor who is very prudent and who is very wise with what they allow in the home. And someone could still, unfortunately, respond in their own free will to fall away from the Lord. I'm not saying that this is the only reason we have this today, but I am saying there's probably a little bit to be said about where Christianity is at today, and maybe there's been a lack of prudence in the past. Maybe there's been a lack of prudence in our churches or maybe our families, whatever it might be. Why am I struggling with this? Or why do my kids not have a desire for God anymore, but have a love for worldliness more than they do the things of God? Why are we watching as our generation of Christians are following away from the Lord? Whatever it might be, fill in the blank. We must develop a character that is wise enough to say, what will this cause or what will this action cause if I say this to a person? What will this cause in my life if I start doing it? What effect will this have on my family if I start to allow this? That's what prudence is. It's a wise thing to do. Proverbs 14 and verse 8 says this, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of the fools is to see. To understand your way, to understand the potential outcomes. In the same chapter in verse 15, uh, it says this, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well 
to his going. It wisely looks at what he allows in his life and where he's headed in life and what effects it might have. So the first thing we have to understand about prudence is that it weighs the possible outcomes of decisions, of actions, of standards in our lives, in our churches, in our families. The second thing is it is foolish not to develop prudence. That's what the Bible says over and over. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse uh, 12 says this, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Wisdom is prudence. Right? It's wise to be prudent. And all these verses that we already looked at, it, it talks about the simple. or the, It's foolish not to develop this type of caution in your family's parents. It's foolish not to have this type of caution in Eagle Heights Baptist Church as we look to develop standards and allow things in our church. It's foolish not to think of the potential outcomes, the potential consequences. That's what prudence is. When we live our lives without a healthy fear of consequences to our action, God calls that foolish, and it really is. It's like a dog returning to its vomit, the scripture says. Even though they understand what it did to them last time and made them vomit again, they're returning to it again and, and over and over and over again. It's, it's like the foolish man who sins and has brought consequences upon his life. And despite that hard time he's going through or she is going through, she's just going to repeat it again. And it's foolish to not think about those potential outcomes. Sometimes we think of the word fool as being silly, right? April fool's type of thing. But that's not how God usually uses it in Scripture when he says fool. This literally is saying this is completely foolish. This is completely stupid of a Christian to start allowing things into your family or allowing things into your personal life or allowing things into your church without weighing the potential outcomes, without developing a caution and a prudence of what that might lead in your children's life or your church's life or families in your church, whatever it might be. God does not look down, I hope God does not look down at your life and say, wow, how foolish, how ridiculous of a child of me not willing to see the potential outcome of this and just allowing things without thinking that through. They're allowing things without even a thought of the potential consequences. We give Adonijah a hard time, but then many of us will go home this week and allow things to happen and do things and allow things in our family without seriously contemplating and taking to prayer the potential consequences of what we're doing, of what we're allowing. It goes back to our message this morning. It's going to help me or my family please the Lord. Is it going to be acceptable to God? I'm afraid that in Christian circles, we have overreacted to the past many times. The independent fundamental Baptist movement was literally built on biblical principles and God's people having prudence. That's why we have this, you could call it movement. Um, And many times that prudence was to the extreme. And they wanted to be so separate from the world that they chose to do different things to show that separation. And really the motivation behind it was caution. It was prudence. It was biblical principles put together with prudence. And unfortunately, just like in all of history, there have been people, even in the fundamental Baptist movement, who have taken that prudence and not accompanied it with love. And now we have people that look at those old standards, 
that look at those old ways of prudence and have a disdain for it because there were individuals that didn't act in love. It's not based on people. It's been based on principles. That's why we have independent fundamental Baptists. But when we start looking at people, we do see people that had so much prudence and so much principle but didn't accompany it with love. And now we have a disdain for those standards or whatever it might be. But the fact of the matter is the answer to that question wasn't to eliminate prudence. The answer to that question was just to fill more love as we continue to be more prudent and continue to love as we continue to develop biblical principles. That was the answer. That is the answer. And as a result, now Christianity sometimes has a disdain or we're finding ourselves in Christian circles today with a lack of prudence or suffering the consequences from a lack of prudence. I understand tonight that standards may vary from family to family. I'm not saying that, but every Christian should hopefully be wise enough to have prudence and exercise caution. That's what we're learning tonight. It's not an old-fashioned thing. It's a wise thing. And it's a foolish thing not to have it, not to develop it. And I understand that some things you may be able to point out in the past of Christianity that were not biblical and people took a strong stand on, whatever it might be, and say, well, that's not biblical. I don't have to accept that standard, whatever it might be. And that might be true. There are extremes, right? There are people that take it to the extremes and are, are, are basing their life on things that aren't necessarily coming from Scripture, But I do want you to realize that in a lot of those cases, it's because of prudence. A lot of those cases is because of caution about what it could potentially lead to or whatever it might be. The early fundamental independent Baptist leaders simply had this mindset, to be prudent. They wanted to be separate from the world. To the extreme, they wanted to be very cautious about what would come into the church and the potentials that that could take place, whatever it might be. How can we be separate from the world when we make decisions that are going to show prudence? God said it's it's foolish not to be prudent. And then the third one there, prudence helps avoid heartache. That's what Proverbs 22.3 is. It it avoids the destruction there that it's talking about. This keeps us out of trouble. The unnecessary consequences of just not seeing a matter through. Or having a child fall away from the Lord because of a choice that you made or I made. Or to fall into a sin you struggle with over and over because you chose to not see the effects it would have on you and those around you. Not all the time, but many times you have good and bad examples of the very act or situation that you should be cautioning yourself about. Not all of them, but pretty much in life, when there are things that are questionable, you can probably think of examples around you of other parents and families around you, of other Christians around you, and whether it was a disastrous result or it was a helpful result to pleasing the Lord. We should always take it to prayer. That's what prudence is. It's, it's searching out a matter. You've seen maybe other teenagers and families fall because of something. You have watched others leave the church and, and leave God because of things. Why toy with it? When we see those things and see those cautions like Adonijah could clearly see from Absalom. We need to develop that type of prudence. If we develop prudence, the Bible says it is wise and we avoid the punishment aspect and the disaster of potential decisions. We need more prudence today in our churches and our families. It's wise to have and Adonijah should have used it more. But he finds himself with his life in danger and bringing others along with him. 
he's going to continue to do this as well as he has a lack of prudence and just a focus on self. How many of you tonight know what kutsu is? Have you ever heard of kutsu? All right, some of you, all right? I'm going to show you a picture here tonight. That is what kutsu is, and this came from Japan uh, in 1876, I believe. Yeah, 1876. And um, some brilliant man brought it over from Japan, thought it would be great to have in the United States. And if you uh, travel through the southeast of the United States today, this kutsu has overgrown every living thing almost. I mean, you drive down the street, and uh, it is just covering trees and uh, shrubbery and fences and even old houses. And it's just sucking the life out of all of these different things. And uh, you have to ask the question, back in 1876, you had to have seen it do the same thing in Japan, right? So, so why bring it over here? It kind of started in New Orleans area. Actually, my dad was the one that brought this out to me about a year ago. When we were traveling in Georgia, and he's like, that's kutsu, and shame on the man for whoever brought it over here from Japan, whatever it might be. And it just has spread from state to state and all over everything. Uh, And today we see it all over, and we can't get rid of it, all right? You you can't. You really can't get rid of it. It's going to be there until the Lord returns, and he destroys this earth, okay? Uh, That's what kutsu is. But when it comes to the family, when it comes to church, we have to be very careful what we allow in. And what effects could happen in the long run. I mean, whoever brought this over from Japan didn't think through the effects very much because it's just destroying things down in the south. It's overtaking everything. Oh, this may seem okay now, or this may seem like the standard to adapt in the churches today. Be careful. Exercise prudence, church. Exercise prudence, dad, mom, sister in Christ, teenager, child. Exercise caution. Think of the potential outcomes. So as we conclude tonight, as we continue in our narrative, we find Adonijah with a lack of prudence. But I wonder if tonight we may have a family member or a teenager or a dad or a grandparent dedicate themselves to prudence tonight. Dedicate themselves to being very cautious about what they allow in their families. I wonder tonight during this time of transition at Eagle Heights if we would dedicate ourselves to prudence, being very cautious about our own actions through this transition and about what we continue to look for as a body of believers. We need to exercise this type of caution and this type of prudence. Prudence will only take place if you are in God's word and you care about pleasing him. Because then you're going to understand the potential outcomes. Then you're going to understand what is right, what is sinful, whatever it might be. So let's have church leaders lead the charge. Let's have dads lead the charge. Let's have moms lead the charge. Let's have teenagers lead the charge tonight and develop some prudence in our lives. Instead of just adapting to what's happening around Eagle Heights today, instead of just adapting family to what other families are accepting, instead of just adapting individual Christian to other things and worldliness around you, let's develop some prudence It needs to be every day in our life. We need to be developing this to be cautious about what this could potentially lead to in my child's life, in my life, in our church's life. I wonder tonight if you would allow God to work in your life in this area. Prudence will serve this church well in a time of transition and in the days to come. It will avoid unnecessary heartache. Prudence will serve your family 
very well. Prudence is worth it. It saves us from unnecessary heartache. And God says it's wise. It's wise to develop this type of caution and this type of carefulness in our families and in our own personal lives. And so what can we learn from Adonijah here tonight? Well, the simple truth is this. We all need prudence. And probably tonight we all need it a little bit more. We can always grow in this area. So as we go home tonight, as we make decisions this week, as some of us lead our families, as we continue to grow in this church, let's incorporate prudence into our daily life now so that we can avoid things like Adonijah is going through here. Avoid those unnecessary heartaches. Avoid those unnecessary things of seeing people fall around us. Let's develop a prudence and a carefulness. Let's pray. Generally, Father, thank you so much for the time we have together tonight. We thank you and praise you for everything that you do for us. And God, I pray that you'd be working in our lives in this area, that as we continue to grow in our Christianity, many of us leading families or um, taking leadership roles in church or trying to be leaders amongst our friends, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would help us develop prudence and a caution and a carefulness of potential outcomes of things that we allow. And I pray that this is something that we would take seriously on a daily basis so that we can avoid some of those unnecessary heartaches like we see in Adonijah's life here. God, help us to take the steps to stay committed to this and tonight to dedicate ourselves to continue to be prudent here at Eagle Heights and in our families and in our own lives. We thank you for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.